Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Hey, hello, leavers and believers and LGBTers. This month we are celebrating Pride. My name's Tanya and I'm really thrilled that you are here for this conversation. Today's topic is a little bit tough. Actually, it's a lot tough. See how you go. There's some tough topics, so content warning, content warning. I'll read you a little bio to introduce our guest today. Ben Gresham Petchel. Ben is an out and proud gay Christian. However, that wasn't always the case. After coming out to his Hillsong youth group leader, Ben entered his first ex-gay program at 16 years old, believing that it was impossible to be gay and Christian. What followed was years of harm resulting in depression and even a suicide attempt. Ben is now a passionate advocate for LGBTI people and speaks out against harmful gay conversion practices. Ben's advocacy extends to his work within Hillsong and similar churches to raise awareness of the harm done to queer people in the name of God. Ben is the former Vice President of Freedom to Be and was featured in the documentary film The Cure and on Channel 10's The Project. In more recent years, Ben has been part of the Yes campaign for marriage equality and in 2018, he married his husband, Michael. So, pull up a chair and let's listen in to part one of Ben and Brian's Big Breakfast. There's me, Tanya, and Ben Gresham Petchel and Matt, and we're going to have a conversation, Matt Draper. Hello, I'm here. Hello. How's everyone this evening? Hi, Tanya. Not bad. Good. Beginning of a new week, cold in Australia, but getting through it one blanket at a time. Thank you so much for joining us here at Leaving Hillsong, Ben. I really, really appreciate it been a long long path for you and yeah really appreciate you taking the time and sharing with us tonight can you kick off by telling us just a bit about how you ended up being at Hillsong Church please that's probably there yeah absolutely I grew up in Cherrybrook which is in the hills area Mm -hmm. which Hillsong is named after and you can't live in the hills area and ignore Hillsong it's it's there like a big pimple on your face almost it's you know everyone knows somebody who's gone there or goes there and certainly in Christian circles it's a really big thing my family was originally from an Anglican background so mm. I started off going to church uh, at an Anglican church and and went there for many years in the early years of high school my friends started to tell me about Hillsong which 
sounded a lot bigger and more exciting and a lot more going on than what was happening at my local Anglican church. And in in my mind, you know, I, I, I was a Christian. I'd been, you know, baptized and confirmed and, you know, but my faith didn't really seem like it was growing or progressing. And so I was, guess I was in a, in a point of life where Hillsong just seemed to be really attractive. It was a place with a lot of young people like me. It was a place where I could explore my faith or I could grow my faith. I'd heard a lot about it. I hadn't heard anything negative about it back then. It was all positive. Part of that might have been growing up in a school and the environment in an area of Sydney that was very Christian and very uh, religious. And, you know, every second friend was a Christian and went to church. So very different from life today when I look around my neighbourhood. But that was what it was like back then. Yeah. Um, And there was even a bus that would come to my high school every single Friday and take kids, youth to wildlife, which was Hillsong's, mm-hmm. you know, which probably still is Hillsong's uh, high school youth group. What age are we talking there? What kind of, or years in school? So the first time I went along, I would have been 14. I think I was fuel back in the day. I think it was fuel and then there was wildlife and fuel mm-hmm. was kind of like year six to year eight at high school. And then once you're a little bit older, so grades nine and above so I would have been yeah 14 15 when I really started to get into the church and like I threw I threw myself in absolutely and I would still go to my little local Anglican church every so often but I completely threw myself into all things Hillsong I went along on Fridays I went along on Sundays I went to summer camps to you know joined a RDG radical discipleship group just threw myself in completely, head first. I was hooked. And and I was probably hooked after the first time I ever went to wildlife or fuel. I think it was fuel back then. The first time I ever went to fuel, I was hooked. The preaching, everything, it was just electric and exciting. And Did you have a conversion experience there? I would say I did. Like I thought I was a Christian and I was pretty convinced I was a Christian already. But the first time I went along, uh, and they did an altar call. For some reason, I thought I felt compelled to put my arms up and surrender everything I had to Jesus. Even though, you know, I thought I was already a Christian, mm-hmm. it just felt more real, more tangible for some reason at Hillsong. And mm-hmm. maybe that was because it was a Pentecostal church and it was the first Pentecostal church I'd experienced. Or, or maybe it was because it was like an, it was a whole experience. And even today, like, I mean, the, the, you know, you feel the tingly fingers, you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, you know, you would say, I guess, when you're, you know, singing the songs, the worship music, and it, it does, it feels like an out of this world experience. And for me at the time, being quite young, knowing that there was something that was different about me, I needed to kick my faith into the next year. Okay. Okay. And I needed to become a whole lot more serious about my faith because I needed a miracle. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. So you, you did you feel like you needed to do more for God and be more involved as if that would give you some sort of extra points or something like that? Absolutely. You know, grow, growing up, I struggled with who I, who I was, my sexuality. I felt very different to many of my other friends looking around. All of the, you know, boys at school, they were all really into sports. They all, mm. particularly as we got older, seemed to appreciate many things about our female classmates that I wasn't quite seeing. And I remember little things, you know, you know, you'd pick up the Kmart catalogue or the Target catalogue and the men's underwear section would, yeah. <laughs> would do things for me or I would watch The Little Mermaid and I wasn't looking at Ariel, I was looking yeah. at Eric. And little things like that, and I, I kind of knew without wanting to put the word gay on it or label myself as gay, I, can't, I, I just knew I was different. You know, I guess growing up in that Christian upbringing, I, I knew that anything apart from being heterosexual, anything apart from being straight was not the way that God wanted me to be, that there was this man mm. that God wanted me to be, this man that God wanted me to grow into and and that wasn't what was happening if anything these feelings 
for other men were getting stronger and stronger. And I found myself in a position where I really, really needed an intervention. I, I needed a miracle because otherwise, you know, Satan would get me, sin would get me, the fall would get me. I had no idea why I was feeling this way and why my experiences were different you know I, I guess I didn't have any gay concepts that I could relate to and my experience of growing mm. up in a world of Christianity everything to do with being gay was sinful you know yeah. whether it was to do with AIDS or being lonely or not having kids yeah. not being able to get married not belonging in church so it was a life the world that I grew up in painted a picture of being gay as one that nobody would want, that nobody would sign up for. Mm. If there was like an anti-marketing campaign for homosexuality, right. I think that, I think the Christians have got it. I think I really do. They don't mention everything else, you know, all of mm. the the amazing community, the wonderful people, the fact that you you know you can be gay and Christian, that there are churches that are welcoming. They don't mention any of that, and they say one way Jesus and one way heterosexual. Yeah, almost. They managed to yeah. do it a lot without being too explicit about it. They managed to do it like quite subtly in a lot of ways, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I'll never forget. And again, sharing this quite candidly, there are many people probably listening who know who Scott Sangways is. I remember being at a wildlife night. I think I would have been 15 at the time. It was on Friday night at the Hills campus of Hillsong. And I can't, I can't even remember the topic he's talking about, but I, I do remember what he said. And he just joked off the cuff and he's like, you know, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, ha, ha, ha. And the whole, <sighs> everyone, all of the young people around me, and there would have been, oh, goodness, I would say maybe five or 600, you know, people my age all laughing their heads off yeah. as he just completely took away, I don't know, I guess any sort of sense of hope that I might have had within myself. It's, it's really weird. It's something... Yeah, I, I can't quite explain it, but I'll never forget that night. And I'll never forget how I felt with him saying that. And it was just a throwaway comment. And it was something that he probably would never remember. But, you know, it happened a lot in Christian circles, whether that was Hillsong or an Anglican church or a Baptist church. It was, it was kind of all around us. It was the, the context of the environment mm -hmm. that many queer people from Christian backgrounds found themselves in this environment of hostility and one which we are not welcome in and a space where even if I think we wanted to explore a relationship with God, we could only do so within the context or the confines of being heterosexual and doing you know, heterosexual things and getting married and doing things the way that we believed God wanted us to be. And so my experience at Hillsong, yeah, I really, look, I threw myself in there completely, completely. I became almost very consumed with it. That desire to really throw myself into it was motivated by my other desire to see myself become straight and transformed into the man that I believe God wanted me to be. And if it was going to happen anywhere, it would have happened at Hillsong, I thought. Okay, that's interesting. Why do you say that? Hillsong did feel, and I, I think maybe they've tamed the Pentecostalism down a little bit, but Hillsong, when I first started going there, when I first started going to Fuel and Wildlife, I remember, you know, speaking in tongues. I remember, mm -hmm. you know, miracles happening, you know, friends mm -hmm. just kind of being able to, whether it was give up alcohol or something was wrong with their arm or their leg, you know, and if they experienced healing. You know, it was a place that felt like miracles, but they would have these healing nights that they would run regularly at the church okay. and you could go along and experience healing for whatever was happening. And of course it didn't, you know, not everyone experienced healing, but mm -hmm. it was, you know, you felt like miracles were happening in this place, particularly when it came to the whole gay thing. We had poster children. So Cy Rogers, who is a very familiar name, Cy Rogers was regularly invited to Hillsong, the church, was invited to do special seminars. Give us a little um, on Cy for those who don't. Yeah. So Cy Rogers was an ex-gay. He was the former head of Exodus International, the Australian and New Zealand chapter for a little while. He claims that God healed him from his homosexuality. He was able to marry a woman and have a family and 
mm-hmm. uh, preach all around the world and preach that, you know, God can make you straight and perform miracles. And that was his message. And Hillsong would regularly invite him to church and to conferences. And he even had his own seminar. I remember I would have been maybe 17 or 18, Tanya, and he, he had a seminar at the church called the Sense and Sexuality Seminar. Oh, it rings bells. I remember loud and clear he, he came and, I mean, he, I'd seen him preach before at the church, but this time he brought all of his resources. <laughs> Me being a young, struggling, closeted gay Christian, I already had most of his books and DVDs and CDs and everything, but he brought everything else to this conference. And, you know, you'd pick up one of his DVDs or his books and, you know, you'd hear the same thing, you know, and the message was essentially, look at me, look at my life. God made me straight and it's great. And you can become straight too. You just have to pray hard enough and worship more and devote your life to God and and so for me like Cy Rogers was the man I wanted to be like I went that was my role model and I looked up to him and I was like well if Cy can do it then I can do it too there must be so many infinite people out there like that too he was I thought a very impressive speaker very much so great Uh, speaker and it's like as soon as one as soon as one stops another one takes up the mantle because there's big money in in being an ex-gay and as soon as one of them says oh actually that's not true and this isn't really what happened another one picks up the mantle and carries on and the churches that have given the kind of the platforms to exodus ministries and living waters and so on don't ever kind of go back and say oh we shouldn't have given you that because actually they've come out and said that you know everything they said was a lie they never undo that work they've done which you know is is very telling mm. yeah but last year Cyro has actually passed away which is quite sad and it's sad for a number of reasons but for me I I totally I mean I think I mean I've been out now out and proud as they say <laughs> it's pride month after all happy pride month mm. Oh, goodness. I think I've been out and proud now for 15 or 16 years. And I think my mental health is normally pretty good. And then when Cyro just passed away, I completely lost it. What, I, what was that about? I, what, I think what it was about is I'd always hoped I would get an apology or something from Cy or, or an acknowledgement of the harm that was done. Yeah. I, you know, I forgive him. I don't, I'm not trying to you know, blame him, you know, and I think forgiveness is, is powerful. And at the end of the day, Sai was dealing with his own things. And I try to separate the person from the message. But he had a profound impact on my life, particularly between the ages of 15 and 18, when I was really wrestling with my sexuality. And he was the main reason why I decided to try and and change and try and become straight and go down the conversion therapy pathway and in which I you know almost lost my life and he was also one of the main driving forces his messages behind a lot of friends that I know people you know young queer people who who also struggled struggled a lot really really struggled really really didn't do very well and you know there were a lot of mental health implications and I even have one friend who took his own life and Cy Rogers his messages were behind a lot of that and I I can't stress that enough particularly in Australia and New Zealand his messages were behind a lot of the damage because outside of the America bubble where Exodus was huge and they had a lot of ex-gay speakers, Cy Rogers was the main one for Australia and New Zealand. And and sure, there are others, but there was no one like Cy. And so whatever Cy was selling, you know, young, gay, lesbian, bi, trans kids were eating up. We were drinking Mm. his Kool-Aid and we were suffering because of it. And I think when he passed away, mentally, I just didn't handle the fact that I would never get closure. Because mm, he was adamant to the end. I mean, he never changed his position. Yeah. Yeah, he never changed his position. And look, he was, it's hard because there's so much nuance in all of this, right, Tanya? 
And, and that's what it's like with Hillsong. There's a lot of nuance, particularly when you have these strong relationships. Like he was a nice guy. I didn't know him very well, apart from his messages and the impact he had on my life. But I know people that did know him very well. And they all say he was a lovely guy. He was, was kind and generous. Yet at the same time, the impact and the damage that his messages had on my life and other lives is, is just huge. Yeah, there's a lot of tragedy in in these stories from, you know, from and people trapped in various circles, trapped in other circles and so on. It's not, you know, you can't point the finger at any one person or any one you know, institution. It's all kind of all tied together, isn't it? it? It is, absolutely. And I think that's why when church pastors and leaders invite these types of preachers to their church, do they really understand the weight that is carried within, with, with that invitation? And the implications of that, that invitation. Or do they know it all too well and they know that it'll be a big crowd draw and, you know, people are fascinated and for all different reasons. I have wondered as well, perhaps it's an easy solution for them. They don't know how to deal with queer people. So they're like, let's bring in Psy and, and, and that'll be us trying to help without really knowing how to help. They're just making things worse. There's that whole thing, you know, about the outside world, be it, you know, people in prison or the the homeless or, you know, uh, the people in gay bars. It's that whole, you know, terrifying world out there. And it's almost like there's a, you know, a quick fix. So we'll get the person who goes into the gay bars to talk to us about their scary work and then it's all looked after and you don't have to worry about that sort of thing a bit too 80s or I don't know. No, no, I, look, I, I think there's still a lot of taboo. I think churches' perceptions on gay people and homosexuality, I think even in churches today, it, some of them are still stuck in that mindset where they think that that mm. is what being gay, being queer is. It's this alternative lifestyle and they use the word lifestyle, which just oh, infuriates oh, me. Oh. <laughs> but that's this perception that it's a choice, that it's a lifestyle, that it's something that somebody chooses. And I think how crazy that they would think it was a choice that, you know, I mean, I I transport myself back when I decided to finally reach out to my youth leader at the time, my RDG leader. And I finally decided to, to tell somebody for the first time ever that I used to say I'm struggling with SSA or I'm struggling with same-sex attraction. Mm-hmm. I would never use the term I'm gay or I'm homosexual, mm-hmm. anything like that. But I reached out mm-hmm. to my youth leader yeah. and I finally got the courage. And it it was so hard. I did it because I needed, I really needed help. Actually, this was after Cy Rogers came to the church for I think this is one of the first times I saw him. And I'd had his resources and had all the books and I bought everything you could buy from Kurong. Kurong's like a um, Australian Christian bookstore. And they used to sell all these books, ex-gay books, gay conversion books, you know, homosexuality is wrong type of books. And I'd buy everything because I could, you know, there's no age limit. So I could go in there and buy them. And I did. And I read all of those, but nothing had helped. So I tried to help myself. I'd read, I'd prayed, I'd cried. I'd, mm. I'd petitioned with God for change and yeah, nothing at all had worked. So I thought I need to, to do something else. I need to, to talk to my youth leader. And so I remember, Tanya, I was outside of uh, it was the Hungry Jacks and this is after wildlife one night and I just sat down with my youth leader and I said, oh, can I, can I tell you something? And he said, sure. And I just started crying and said, I'm struggling with same-sex attraction and I don't know what to do and I have tried everything but nothing's going away and I just need some help and I need some accountability and I just need I need something and Mm. I remember he he looked around and he said to me you know you can change you know you can trust God you can change you know plenty of other people have changed where do they get this from yeah sorry from Cy, like people like Cy Rogers yeah, and, and that, yeah. that, that context and culture. And, and look, maybe he was like a couple of years older than me. So he wouldn't have been like 18, oh, 17, 18. Yeah, okay. So he was really young and he was talking from his experience growing up in the church as a straight man and not really knowing what to do. And we all um, repeat the mythologies to each other, don't we? I mean, we do. We do. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, so he reached out and spoke to a few people at church 
and they put me in touch with with one of the other leaders one of the bigger leaders that was actually a wildlife leader at the time i remember getting a call and he gave me a call and he said oh you know in the hillsong way hey man how you doing yeah like so pumped to have you in church you know i spoke to so and so and he said you're um you know you, you want a bit of support with something and you know god's really got it on my heart that you know i i, I believe you know you're gonna have a breakthrough here you're gonna have a miracle and you know this is I'm not trying to make fun of them, Tanya. This, this is how we all spoke. Yeah. This is, this, that yeah. was it. I'm just, yeah. and it was really, again, within that context of this is a miracle, this is a change that's going to happen and that you've got to have faith and you've got to believe in God. But anyway, so he connected me with one of the church counselors who, you know, offered to help and support me and also referred me to an online um, gay conversion program. Mm-hmm. It was a 60 day program. It was called the Door of Hope program run through a website called setting there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's free, Mm -hmm. and I believe it's been shut down now, thank God, but it was around for a long time, and the concept of this program was I was still at high school at the time. So every day for 60 days, I would come home from high school, and I would log onto the computer and I would do a lesson for about an hour. And it was about the Bible and about purity and about, you know, they'd have like the woman at the well or a whole bunch of different purity Bible lessons. And then at the end would be accountability questions. So have you abstained from masturbation? Have you abstained from pornography? Have you abstained from alcohol? Have you abstained from drugs? Have you abstained from sex? And of course I was 16. I'd never kissed a guy. I'd never... I'd never kissed a guy or a girl. I'd never had sex with a guy or a girl. I'd never had alcohol or drugs. You know, I was a pretty good Christian, really, except for the whole mm. gay, gay thing, you know, in my mind. It was, it was pretty good. I had to go through and answer all of these questions. Presumably you were grown men asking, you know, children these questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I had an online mentor and his name was Rodney. I still remember his name. And I had a local mentor and the local mentor was the Hillsong counsellor. So my results, my lesson... You know, I'd fill it out and fill in the forms and do the accountability question. And then it would be emailed every day to both my online mentor and to also my local mentor. Mm. It's and just such a lot of surveillance. And it's such yeah. a so so creepy that they're getting a list of, you know, young men's masturbation habits. Like, yeah, I mean, like what the hell? Who, who invents that kind of thing? I was doing this, you know, 60 day program. We had to answer all these accountability questions. And, uh, you know, most days were pretty good. I can answer, you know, have you looked at pornography? No. Have you abstained from masturbation? Or I think it was, have you abstained from self-gratification? I think it was self-gratification, which is an interesting term for it. And, uh, you know, I could say, yes, I abstained. And, you know, at first, you know, I'd only last, you know, two or three days. I mean, I was 16 after all, so... (laughs) Crazy. You know, hormones going everywhere, and so... Anyway, so I, I, uh, I, keep, I keep going with it, you know, after every, but it, it, you know, every time I would fail, and that's how I would word it, every time I'd fail or fall, I would have to answer questions about, well, how could I stop it from happening? How could I prevent it from happening again in the future? And there was an element of shame and embarrassment associated with it. I just turned 34, but I look back as a 34-year-old man and I go, oh my gosh, that was creepy. A 16-year-old young man, not even 18, talking to, a, a, you know, a couple of ex-gay, significantly older men mm-hmm. in their mm-hmm. late 30s, early 40s. 
if back then I would do that to, to try to stay accountable, it's almost like riding a roller coaster. So you would have these highs where, you know, all your accountability questions were really, really good. And you felt like you were making progress and you felt like God was changing you and you were on an absolute high. Like, and I, I can't explain it, Tanya, like it, no. it's almost like a rush how good that high is because you feel like, you know, God is, is, is going to change you, like things will be better. And then you fall once again. You know, you look at pornography, just one picture, and you're down right at the bottom again. I remember once being on the cold bathroom tiles with my head in my knees, just in a ball crying because I'd fallen once again. Because, you know, after getting so close, I was the one responsible for me not being able to change. And that's what I absolutely believed. So I got to the end of the 60-day program and... Now I don't know. I mean, that must have been a bit... Did it not become daunting to come home to that at any point? Did that not... I mean, it's just shame upon shame upon... It was, and it just kept building. And and yet you're only hoping something, I guess. I... It, yeah, it, it was. It was my complete only hope. So I finished the end of the 60-day program, took six months, tried a few other things, read a few new books that had come out. Like there'd been a new book by an author called Joe Dallas, who was another ex-gay, who was very adamant that you had to be in a relationship and get married and that would change you. And so I tried dating girls at school and that didn't really work out. And then I tried the 60-day program for the second time. Wow, all right. And I only made it to, I think, like maybe day, day 32. And then I just, I couldn't do it. Like I just couldn't, couldn't keep going with that. And so I, I, I thought I just need to tell somebody, I need to tell my youth leader, I need to tell somebody at church that this, this, this program is just not working for me. And so I reached out to my local mentor and I said, hey, is there anything else? Is there anything else that you think might mm. be able to help me? And he said, yeah, I, uh, I know uh, like there's a counsellor here at church who is is really good and you can go speak to him you know he might be able to help you with this it might be a result of you know trauma growing up or or something can we and you know he can unpack it with you it'll probably help at this stage tanya i was clearly experiencing depression again i didn't have a proper understanding of what that was because in the in the pentecostal circles even at hillsong at the time depression wasn't acceptable it it was seen as a weakness and it it was not okay to have. It wasn't a fruit of the spirit. I didn't need anything else in my bad books. Like I already had the kind of oh, same-sex attraction thing that if I was to add depression onto it, it would have been just awful. So I kind of bottled that up and went to this counsellor and I would see him once a week, every week and unpack everything about growing up. You know, my parents were good people and yet those sessions, almost for me to try to understand why I was gay, I made them into people that they're not. So they say yeah. that you'd have it, you know, if you, had, if you had a distant dad or a mum that was maybe too loving or caring. And, you know, my dad wasn't really distant, but he worked a lot and, yeah. you know, he was busy on weekends. And so therefore, in my mind, I was like, oh, yeah, he therefore must be a distant dad. My mum was really beautiful and loving and always kind. And I was like, well, my mum must have just loved me too much. And oh, man. therefore it's, you know, their problem, I'm gay. And that was a lot of the Christian narrative, really. I mean, it was just, so even though that wasn't the case at all, but, you know, I've always been, it's just who I am. I've always been gay, but I would try to make them into, you know, try to find a reason in my head to justify what I was going through and then trying other things to become straight. So a lot of praying, a lot of laying of hands, a lot of just just trying to get to that next level with God. And I remember I would take at this time, you know, I was 17. I would take my Bible to school every day. And instead of having a lunch break with my friends, I would go to the library and I'd read my Bible every single day because I felt like that was the only thing that was going to help. I was willing to do it. I was like, I was going mm-hmm. all in, all in for God and all in to try to become the man that I thought he wanted me to be. And I got to a point where something just snapped. And I couldn't do it anymore. I, I just I just completely broke down and I just couldn't do it. I just wanted to wanted it all to be over. Ugh. And I felt like that was easier than me trying to go along with this and being gay in my mind, being gay and accepting myself wasn't an option. 
because it would mean I would lose my family, my friends, my entire social network. You know, the church was my world. I was at Hillsong five times a week and like it was my, it was my world and all my friends were there and my social systems and my support and people I looked up to and trusted and you know, it was, it was everything. And I didn't, I couldn't be gay because it would mean I would lose everything that was good in my life. And there wasn't that much that was good left, but oh. it would mean I would lose all of that. And I couldn't deal with that. And so I just thought, I just, I just couldn't keep going. And so I, um, I did attempt suicide twice oh. and I still don't entirely know how I didn't die, particularly the second time, but I am very grateful now that I didn't yeah when you didn't um, and I was in such a depression and I I wasn't getting any help for the depression well, yeah I, and I, I, I wasn't really even recognizing it properly within myself because it wasn't again mental health conversations they just weren't a thing yes. at Hillsong back then I think they are a bit more now but but back then they weren't at all and so I was by myself pretty much. Like I didn't tell my parents because I thought if I could change, I don't need to tell my parents. I don't need to burden them with any of this stuff. And so I was carrying all this weight myself. I literally thought I was the only gay person there as well, Tanya. Not long before I tried to take my life, I'd heard that there were two other gay young gay men at Wildlife and, I, and they were kicked out mm-hmm. for being gay. And that just, to me, that just cemented in my mind that it's just, I, I can't be gay. I can't, I can't. Yeah. be that type of person but apart from that I, I didn't know anybody else at the church that was gay I didn't know any I didn't I didn't even know the concept of a gay Christian I didn't have really any positive gay role models in my life and part of that was because the internet wasn't as much of a thing and we didn't have tv shows like Glee and I didn't live in the inner city of Sydney so yeah you know yeah. that was just my context that was my world and where I found myself They've set up this framework for you that you've agreed to be a part of. You've done everything they've asked and yet there's no like safety net for if that doesn't fit 100%. And then when you suffer the consequences of that being, you know, depression and other mental health associated situations, there's no safety net for that. It's just... What a nightmare. What a what a horrible set of webs. It's like, you know, you, you're trying so hard and it's just one kind of dead end after another or and it really it really was it was this this sense of absolute despair and hopelessness I remember after my second attempt I was crying out to God and actually really angry at God because he didn't let me he didn't just let me go and I was crying out to God and I was like God I just can't keep doing this anymore I I I still love you but I don't know if you love me anymore and I can't I can't keep doing that I can't can't keep going on with life. And I'll never forget that moment. And, you know, my faith isn't exactly very clear cut and I don't pretend to have all the answers and I still don't really know a lot about about things. But in that moment when I was crying out to God, I felt for the first time, like almost like a a voice or a touch of God or something, just, just, just saying, I love you. 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 And this warm hug, this embrace, this kind of this cradling Mm -hmm. almost Mm -hmm. and sense of protection. I'll never shake the feeling of it. Again, I don't have the words to explain it, but it was just this sense that everything was somehow going to be okay. From that moment, I remember. Wonderful. Ended up finding a group at the time called Freedom to Be after that, which was a group for LGBT people from Christian backgrounds. And this whole concept of of queer people, LGBTI people who grew up in churches and experienced similar things to me. And some of them had gone through conversion therapy or attempted suicide or wrestled with their sexuality. And some were out and some weren't. And they met every month in Sydney and Melbourne. They would just get together and talk. And this was a group that Anthony Van Brown, who was a former Pentecostal preacher, set up. And the power of that group, just having a bunch of people with similar shared experiences together was so healing. And, you know, I certainly wasn't doing that well still, despite me feeling loved by God and being in contact with Freedom to Be. I was still very much had depression and but at least I was able to finally, for the first time, go and see a GP that wasn't connected to the church. 
yeah. and yeah. you know go see a doctor that wasn't connected to the church and go see a counselor that wasn't connected to the church and so I was starting to get this real help and I was you know on antidepressant medication for you know a long time high doses for a long time and I'm 34 now I was 18 after my second attempt so it's been how long now 16 years and in that time I've probably seen close to 15 or 20 different psychologists it's just so sad because if you hadn't been in that church in that situation um you know everyone's everyone's brain chemistry is made up differently so you know there may have still been depression or mental health but at the same time you describe those highs and lows from before and you know and that that kind of is almost like that pattern that's being built in you by the church and so on and then from that you've then had to take all this time to heal and I just think that's so sad and I'm really sorry to hear what you know what you what you've been through in that way sounded almost respectfully like an eating disorder person might go through someone suffering with eating just like disordered eating where you know that deprivation that extreme deprivation of biology that leads to absolutely high and then some kind of inevitable crash because you can't maintain that and it and it was and I am thankful every day to be alive I'm thankful for what I have I'm thankful for really good mental health support and a support system which really helped me get back on my feet and helped me become an advocate and helped me become stronger and I'll never ever ever um, not be grateful for freedom to be Mm. in those early days and the likes of things like the Gay Christian Network which I found out about and you know Justin Lee and those you know after I came out I made the I don't know I look back on it now and I think it was a stupid decision but at the time it was smart I I thought it was smart after I'd been through my second suicide attempt I decided to come out for good and come out for good everywhere so yeah I came out for good at Hillsong as well which in hindsight was probably pretty dangerous but I was just like no I just I, I I just need to come out as me and I remember Hillsong being put in this really strange situation. To my knowledge, I was the first person that put Hillsong in this situation. Uh, And the situation was I hadn't really committed a sin. So I hadn't had sex with Mm -hmm. any men. Mm -hmm. I hadn't kissed a man. I'd tried everything they'd wanted me to try and it still hadn't worked and it had resulted in suicide attempts. I remember talking to Betty Johnston, who was Tanya. I don't know if you remember Betty. She was like the main... Hillsong counsellor and I I feel like I almost got special treatment from her and I met with her a number of times and she was just like well you know we don't want to kick you out of the church because you haven't done anything wrong but Uh. if if you're gonna stay you know you just have to you know be mindful that you're in a church and you know watch your behavior and Uh. you know put put holiness first and all of that type of stuff but she was quite adamant that I was welcome there and I was allowed to stay but I feel like Tanya I feel like almost I was allowed to stay because nothing that they'd put me through had worked the two young gay guys before me that were kicked out plenty of queers at Hillsong plenty of gay lesbian people at Hillsong that were kicked out but the two that I knew of before me that were kicked out they were kicked out because because one made out kissed another guy Uh the other one I know crazy and the other and the other one did even work. The other one had sex in, in, in the mind of Hillsong. I mean, would they kick out a straight person for doing that? Absolutely not. But, but this is, this is mm-hmm. what they did with gay people at the time. Mm-hmm. And so with me, they were really put in this predicament. I, stayed at, I decided to stay at the church against my psychologist's advice at the time. And I don't know why I stayed at the church. Even in my mind, I think it was because mm-hmm. I still, I was able to disassociate Hillsong and what God, what I believe God was doing at Hillsong yeah. from my experiences within Hillsong. And that might be a bit naive, but I was 18 at the time. So mm. it's God. I mean, it's, it's your belief system. It's your worldview. You can't just walk out on it. Yeah. And I, I felt like I couldn't. I felt like it would be abandoning something that was still, Hillsong was still so dear to me, even, even through the, the trauma and the pain and everything. It was still so dear to me. And so I kept going. And you invested so much at this point into making, you know, the effort yeah. to stay, then obviously it would be, you know, so it must be very difficult. Well, it's so much uh, bigger than you. Absolutely. Well, yeah. So. Yeah. And it was this thing that was bigger than me, Tanya. You're absolutely mm. right. So I decided to stay. And I remember at the time it was, it was pretty controversial, actually. 
I don't know what happened. I must have got a 15 or something from, <laughs> you know, I think I just started going along to the end of Wildlife or Powerhouse, which was like their young adult youth group. And I just started going along to that. And it was a bit awkward. I immediately noticed that people were treating me differently. Oh. Particularly the, like my friends, the young men. Mm. And the two people that had first invited me to Hillsong, they just completely cut off contact, like completely, Ooh. and didn't didn't speak to me again. And that was really painful. But I still kept going because I, you know, I had enough friends there. Still felt like God was doing something there. But my mission had changed from, you know, wanting to be like Cy Rogers and wanting to be this ex-gay mm. pastor to being there because I believed that. God wanted me to be a light in the darkness within the church, which is hilarious, right? Like, because the yeah, church is a lot of yeah, lights in the darkness, absolutely. but I thought the darkness was like Hillsong. And I was like the gay, <laughs> the gay rainbow light in the <laughs> darkness. You know, I look back now, it feels like almost like a bit of a mission, kind of this rainbow mission within the, the church. But it was actually quite powerful, just me being there, being visible. I had people... And Tanya, some of these people were people that I would volunteer with at conference and was on the host team, the host team of people that, you know, you show people to your seat and you're in the host mm -hmm. team. Some of these people were in that team with me or volunteer with me or do car park duty with me at Hillsong. And they were gay. And I had no idea and they had no idea. And for the first time ever, I would be getting people, um, you know, come up to me or reach out to me or text me or email me and say, you know, your story, that's my story too oh man and then I was able was able to put them in contact with freedom to be and talk with them and share my story and put them in touch with you know good mental health people there would have like heaps of like Tanya I'm talking probably 12 or 15 people wow. reached out to me over the course of it so I lasted at Hillsong for probably about two years after after coming out and I only lasted for two years because I got to the point where I'd go along to, you know, youth camps or we'd go to the movies with my, you know, connect group, my youth group at the time, my little small Bible study connect group thing. And I was just being treated so differently just for who I am. Like I remember going away and we'd all hired a house for a Hillsong United camp. My leader said to me, he's like, oh, we put you in the, in the lounge room on the pullout because we oh. thought that that's where you would be most comfortable, oh. you know, not sharing a room with any of the other guys. And because they said you would feel most comfortable. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, I know, right? Ridiculous. And then little things like just forgetting to invite me to movies or forgetting to invite me to, to things. Oh, that's enough. Um, and that was really hard to, to stomach. And I think I could do it for a bit, you know, but then it just got to me and I just couldn't do it anymore. But by this stage, you know, I'd started to speak up a little bit more and share my story and freedom to be. And Anthony Ben Brown, you know, was encouraging me to be more of an advocate. And so I was trying to do that. And so together we, you know, we reached out to Pastor Brian, Brian Houston. He would vaguely remember me because I used to be in that host team, the, the, the kind of the ushering team, and I would look after that section. Every Sunday morning, the 10.30 a.m. or 9.30 a.m. services, I would look after that section of pastors and leaders and guests, and I would say hello to Brian and Bobby when they were in Australia, of course. So, mm -hmm. you know, even things like communion, you know, you do communion, you do the offering envelopes, you do the oil during the anointing services. I do all of that. I don't think Pastor Brian remembered my name, but he... He kind of knew of me and knew my face. And Betty Johnston had, maybe it was for damage control, but Betty Johnston had mentioned me to him and we'd been emailing him. I don't know. I think this is, this is a reflection of my mental health. So I, I still loved Hillsong and I really loved Brian and I respected Brian and all of that, even though I was gay now and they'd done a lot of damage. But then occasionally something would flare up or trigger. And on Twitter, Twitter was becoming big, right? And then I was on Twitter and mm -hmm. I remember in my little advocacy, young, gay, twink head face, I was like, I'm so angry. I'm going to tweet Brian. Yeah. So I tweeted Brian yeah. Tanya, and I tweeted him this, like, I, I think I said something like, gay people are dying in your church. There is blood yeah. on your hands. Hey, was that you crying? <sighs> it wasn't me crying. That was part one. And for part two, we will be discussing Brian and Ben's big breakfast meeting and what he thought about it then and uh, 
how he feels about it now. So make sure you don't miss that. It'll be out tomorrow. And uh, keep safe. Keep leaving Hillsong. And we'll talk then. Bye. you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.